It's time for a Big Blue Kickoff Live. Nobody could ever tell you that you couldn't do it because you're dead. On Giants.com. You know what I saw? New York Giant Prime. And the Giants mobile app. We'll punch you in the nose for 60 minutes with a relentless competitive attitude. Part of the Giants Podcast Network. Let's go out there like a bunch of crazy dogs. Have some fun. Welcome to Wednesday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live, presented by New York Lottery. Thanks so much for tuning in. He's Paul Dottino. I'm Lance Meadow. With you for the next 60 minutes, multiple ways to interact with us here on the program. You can dial us up at 201-939-4513. You could hit us up on Twitter using hashtag GiantsChat. Directly interact with the two of us. I'm at Lance Meadow, one word, last name, M-E-D-O-W. He is at GiantsWFAN. A reminder, you can find the archive of this show and our entire podcast network brought to you by Investors Bank on the Giants mobile app, podcast platforms everywhere, and at Giants.com slash podcast. So the Giants are at the midway point of the season at 1-7. They now start the second half of the season as they will visit Washington on Sunday. So we'll look ahead to that matchup. Remember, everything's a little bit later this week. Joe Judge is not going to address the media today until later today because they're still regrouping from the quick turnaround from Monday night as they fell to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in a heartbreaker. But Joe Judge did speak to the media yesterday, Paul, and that's where I want to start. Number one, the trade deadline was 4 p.m. Eastern on Tuesday, and there were some whispers and rumors surrounding Giants players, which is natural across the NFL landscape, but nothing happened. It was a relatively quiet trade deadline in general, but the one thing that was notable that Joe Judge said when he spoke to the media, he said, hey, we received a lot of calls, and there's nothing wrong with having conversations. You got to do your due diligence, especially if you can help your team. But they weren't being aggressive in pursuing trades themselves. If anything, they were listening to what other people had to say, and pretty much that was the extent of the conversation. Yes, and you know, it's kind of a different situation this year because you also have the pandemic to consider. And even some of the national guys on the TV channels were talking last week at how if you were going to make a deal uh, coming close to the trading deadline, you probably would have tried to have made it at the end of last week because you'd have to give yourself a cushion for the guy to be able to go through all the protocols and all the testing. And then obviously if he, if he failed, then you'd have to undo the deal. So, you know, the, the experts or the national guys – we're, we're kind of saying like Wednesday, Thursday of last week should have been the hot spot for making a trade in light of the fact that this Tuesday was the deadline. So as it got closer and closer and closer, I was less of the opinion that there was going to be a deal. And then when Joe Judge told us yesterday that, you know, the Giants were fielding a lot of calls, but people wanted their foundation players guys who he wants to build the fabric of this organization around, they weren't interested in moving those. Well, because that goes back to there's been so much turnover on this roster to begin with that if you're going to start to build stability, it makes sense to hold on to those younger players as well as players who you still have under contract because you know you're not going to lose them for nothing unlike Marcus Golden, which was a different story because you knew he had an expiring contract and you figure, okay, why not get something in return for a player that there's no guarantee he's going to return? So I think the mindset's a little bit different. I think the other factor as to why it was a relatively quiet trade deadline, I think you alluded to it somewhat, Paul, in terms of bringing the pandemic into play, but I'll take it a step further. The unknown of the salary cap, and I think a lot of teams right now yes, are agree. a little bit unwilling, right, to take on more salary, to bring on a contract that maybe they need to give an extension to when they don't know how much wiggle room they're going to be working with at this time next season. I agree with you a thousand percent, Lance. Uh, what is the number, the most recent estimate? Is it 175? I think 175, I believe, is the, f is the floor, which means it could go a little bit higher, but that's what they're operating right now. Or maybe I better say the ceiling in terms of what it's looking at like now, but it's possible based on whatever comes in over the course of the remainder of the season, it could go up slightly, but they're not expecting it to go over that much. So you know that's going to have a major impact on teams that already have to start looking at guys they're going to have to trim before taking on someone in a trade? Now you're, you're really, you're muddying your waters ex extremely deep. I think the thing is, the only way you were going to make a deal this week is if you truly believed that that one player was going to put you over the top. You had to really, really believe that. Otherwise, 
why make the trade unless, of course, you were taking on a guy who was in the final year of his contract and there would be no future ramifications from the, uh, the transaction? Because he would come off the books, and then to your point, you sort of rent him for yes. half a season. You go all in. You put everything at the center table. You try to win it, and then you work out the issues the following season. Similar to the philosophy, I know there was some rumors that the Packers were pursuing Texans wideout Will Fuller. Nothing came to fruition, but Green Bay's the type of team, to your point, Paul, where you would argue, all right, maybe they feel they're one or two players away from helping them truly get over the hump in the NFC and try to compete and win a Super Bowl. Understandable that team may have had that mindset, but once Mm -hmm. again, nothing came to fruition. I'd give you one other reason. Too, Lance, and you know how in recent years teams have kind of toyed with the idea of the compensatory picks as part of their strategy in terms of do we trade this guy or do we not trade this guy? Because, okay, if we just hold on to him and he goes free agent, well, we don't necessarily think we're going to spend a lot of money in free agency this year. Well, he's going to sign a big contract with somebody. We're going to get a third-round pick back. Well, here's the problem. Because the salary cap is going to shrink how many of your soon-to-be free agents are going to get megabucks deals elsewhere that would then in turn help you in the compensatory formula? You follow? Yeah, it's the numbers game, once again, because yeah. the market may not be as attractive this year as people were looking at it a year and a half ago because the economics have changed. So, so now all of a sudden you're saying yeah. to yourself, all right, well, hmm, should we maybe try to move this guy? Because uh, if we let him go and the compensatory formula and they juggle the numbers, uh, well, we might only wind up getting a fifth-round pick for this guy instead of a third-round compensatory. So I'm sure that factored into some teams' equations as they wanted to make a deal. But as you say, there are a lot of other reasons why other teams would have not wanted to make a deal. Well, because to your point, the benefits of parting ways with a player is not as high, I would argue, as what it may have looked like several months ago because of, once again, how the economics and the pandemic has impacted the NFL. All right, let's bring it back towards the Giants because the trade deadline wasn't the only thing that Joe Judge addressed. A big topic of discussion clearly was Daniel Jones and the turnovers that has certainly been an ongoing issue. But Joe Judge has been asked this multiple times, and I get it. People need something to write about and talk about. I think it's silly, though, and Joe Judge shut it down immediately. He was asked once again, was there any consideration or has there been any consideration to sit Daniel Jones for a game, not necessarily the season, to get his head straight, to allow him to see what another quarterback could do and reflect, and emphatically gave a one-word answer and said no (laughs) and pretty much left it at that. He didn't even bother to expand, nor do I think he needs to expand, and Paul, this goes back to conversations we've had about the benefits of a guy like Shane Lemieux getting reps or the benefit of Andrew Thomas staying in there and Matt Parrott getting mixed in. The best way to learn for young players, and Daniel Jones is still a young player. Remember, he's just about starting his second season because he needed to finish up the first rookie season with some of the early games this year. I don't understand the mindset of how you think a player is magically going to observe and that's all of a sudden going to help him see the light. I think the more reps a quarterback gets, the more scenarios it plays out, regardless of the trends, is the best way by far to help a young quarterback out. Lance, follow me on this very short stroll. I think we would probably both agree that the three biggest issues right now that Daniel Jones is having, number one, Obviously, he still has to work on making sure he holds on to the football. I know he hasn't fumbled in two of the last three games, but let's for the time being say that holding on to the ball is still an issue for him. Is that fair? That's fair. Okay. Number two, decision-making process in terms of when to throw the ball away and give up on a play and live for another down. We've seen that, obviously, a number of times where he's thrown an ill-advised interception when you know the, the invisible man in the fourth row should have been his receiving target. Is that, is, is that fair? We saw that Monday night. That's absolutely okay. fair. Number three, the other item that needs, that needs to be worked on with him is the clock inside of his head in terms of feeling the pressure and the pass rush and understanding the timing of when to get rid of the ball instead of trying to hold on to it sometimes a little bit too long and then making an ill-fated throw 
if he could just process a little bit better and a little bit quicker, which is a natural maturing process that every quarterback has to go through. Some guys are faster than others at getting it down. Would we not agree that that's the third thing you'd like to see him work on? Sure, absolutely. Okay, all right, so we agree. So we, we've, we've strolled down this, uh, this block, and we agree. We are in step. Well, if those are the three things that he needs to work on the most in his game, how is he supposed to work on those sitting at a desk or watching a video? The only way you can work on those three specific skills is by getting into a live game with live defenders coming at you and trying to execute. That's the only way to improve on those three things. Would you not agree with that? Yeah, hands-on experience is the key. And so I would argue that, Paul, relevant. in any walks of life. It's not just football. Yeah, right? well, I mean, there are some things that you can potentially learn by listening to somebody or by diagramming them on paper or by watching a video or by going through a walkthrough. There may be. I, I'm not saying there are not things. There are certainly things you can learn by being a backup quarterback. Well, but Paul, I don't need to cut you off. You could do that, though, for Daniel Jones' sake, just to chime in here. You could do that simultaneously. You could work on those things during the week and then still get in games. Absolutely. But, see, I don't want want people to throw back in my face how, well, you say that rookie quarterbacks should sit for a year. Well, I do still believe that. I still think in a perfect world, your your first-round draft pick quarterback, if you can, or second-round pick, whatever he is, I still believe it serves rookie quarterbacks best to soak it in and digest for a year behind a veteran, and then in year two actually go into the live fray. I still believe that's the best way to go. That was the old-fashioned way to go, and I still think old-fashioned and and old-school is best. You know that, Lance. I'm not changing from that. But I will say this. The three things that Jones has to polish up on are not things you're going to learn by holding a clipboard. They're only going to be improved by being in real games. Well, and also I think you need to take into consideration the structure of the Giants roster right now. I'm a believer in the philosophy that you hit on too. If you have a proven veteran quarterback on your team, I don't think there's anything wrong with sitting the young quarterback, have him watch and observe. You look at Drew Brees and Phillip Rivers. You look at Brett Favre and Aaron Rodgers. Certainly didn't hurt Phillip Rivers. Certainly didn't hurt Aaron Rodgers. But those scenarios were comfortable where you had a proven veteran quarterback. You've already put Daniel Jones into the games. He's already been established as your starter. The Band-Aid has been ripped off, Paul. It's a little bit different than those two other scenarios. If it was where you had a starter, if Eli was still here or whatever it may be, the dynamics are a little bit different. Daniel's the guy, okay? You can tell me all you want about Colt McCoy's a proven veteran, and no offense to Colt McCoy, but Colt McCoy is not a long-term answer. Daniel Jones is a option as a long-term answer. So therefore, it benefits the Giants, it benefits this coaching staff to continue to work on the things that we just talked about by having them play out in game situations. The other thing, by the way, that I wanted to throw out in terms of your three factors, part of that also is, and I understand this walks the fine line of ball security and avoiding the fumbles, but learning also, Paul, that sometimes taking a sack is not necessarily a bad thing. Because that's another way to live for another down or just punt the ball and not give favorable field position to the opposition. So I would throw that in as like 3A, 3B based on the other three factors you labeled. Sure, sure. Well, I think think that that is the supplement to to the point where I said, you know, don't make the ill-advised throw. Don't force it. Don't try to make a play. You know, throw it into the third row where the invisible man is. Well, the other part to that is eat the ball if you have to. So yeah. I agree with you. That that would definitely be a caveat attached to one of those three things. And by the way, all three of those things are natural occurrences with young quarterbacks, and all three develop and mature over time if the guy's got the goods. And it's way too early to determine if Daniel Jones does not. There will be some quarterbacks – who never develop all three of those things, and they do wind up flaming out. Okay, Ryan Leaf flamed out. He had the physical tools but didn't have all the intangibles, and he flamed out. Many other first overall quarterback picks in the draft over the last 20 years have flamed out because they didn't have a variety of things. But to say right now that Daniel Jones cannot in any way, shape, or form to to eliminate him or to disqualify him 
from being able to improve on those three items would absolutely be naive and foolish. It's absurd. And Ryan Leaf also, of course, had off-the-field issues, too. And I'm not saying that you were making a comparison. I but, said intangibles. You know, he had, in, he, there he are had those intangibles that absolutely sidetracked him and, and took him down the wrong road. Because being a starting quarterback in the NFL, the mindset, the mental part is just as important as the physical part. But getting back to your latter point, Daniel Jones is the same quarterback, regardless of the criticism he's facing right now, that threw the touchdown pass the to Golden Tate to put the Giants in a position to have a legitimate shot to tie the game and maybe get to overtime. So I brought this up on the radio postgame show, and I understand, once again, I'm going to emphasize this. I get it. Paul, Giants fans are looking through that narrow lens. All I care about is my team, my quarterback, and I understand that. But I also think it's important to look at what's going on around the league to realize there are other teams with younger quarterbacks. There are other teams with quarterbacks who have a little bit more experience than Daniel Jones, and they're also doing that little tap dance where you see the flashes and then you see the head-scratching decisions. Case in point, the quarterback that the Giants faced in the game prior to the Bucs, Carson Wentz, Paul, who has much more experience than Daniel Jones, albeit he has been bothered by the injury bug, we've seen it in the last two games, and I've watched both Eagles games the last two very closely because they played on Sunday Night Football. We've seen Carson Wentz throw two touchdown passes, orchestrating two touchdown drives against the Giants, but then we saw that decision he made, remember when he threw one into the end zone, and it was pretty much a jump ball for James Bradbury to go up and get the interception. Then against the Cowboys, he holds on to the ball extremely long, gets a sack, and fumbles the ball. And, you know, that's another one where you say, well, wait a minute. This is the same quarterback that orchestrated two game-winning touchdown drives a week prior, and then a week later goes up against the Cowboys' defense that has been struggling, holds on to the ball for a century, and gives the Dallas defense an opportunity to make an opportunistic play. Well, wait a minute. What's going on? It's the same thing I would argue with Daniel Jones. You see the touchdown pass to Golden Tate. You see the plays where he rolls out of the pocket, Paul. He extends drives. He throws sideline passes to Darius Slade and connects. But then at the same time, you see the two interceptions, which proved to be certainly costly in the Bucks game. So when you see that... There's a lot of good still going on, Paul, that for anyone to say, also take into consideration once again, that we're talking about he's coming up on to about a year and a half of being the starter, how you would all of a sudden say, I've seen enough, I know for a fact, conclusion, exclamation point, period, is a bit of a stretch and a bit ridiculous. Yeah, the bottom line is uh, it's okay to see a mixed bag with any young player who is trying to mature and develop The important thing is that it is a mixed bag, that you don't see all negatives and no positives. That's a bad sign. That's a red flag if you don't see any positives. But when you see a mixed bag and you say, okay, these things, got to work on these things, all right, make, make me grimace a little bit. But then you also see on the other side of the ledger, wow, look at that throw. Look at what he did. Look at those audibles he called. Look at the read that he made. Wow, look at, look at, you know. All right, well, now it's a mixed bag. That's what a mixed bag is, the definition of a mixed bag. Well, when you have that mixed bag early in a guy's career, it's acceptable now to have patience with him. And what you hope then over the course of time is that he inches more and more to the positive side as the months go by or as the years go by to the point where by the time he gets to his third season, you know, we always use that as the litmus test, although with quarterbacks it tends to be a little bit different. But you'd like, to, you'd like to believe that at some point sooner rather than later, the mixed bag becomes only a few rotten apples in the barrel because 80% of the apples are just delicious and tasty. Another food analogy for Paul Dottino. It didn't involve pasta, so look at this. You're adding some versatility to your arsenal. I'm well, quite you impressed know, here. It, uh, there you it's go. apple season, isn't it? All October, right. well, November, apple season? No, that's fair. I'm not disputing the time. (laughs) Listen, you could throw out whatever fruit. I'm enamored with whatever you throw out. I'm just, I'm impressed. Normally it's the pasta. So the fact that you're branching out, I I would say that you're growing, you're expanding your horizons. Well, look at it this uh, way. What, what, what we've done, you want, you want the pasta analogy because I've often used it. What we've done is we have boiled the water. Okay. The pasta's in the pot. We got the salt going in there. We got to get the, the, you know, the sauce has got to be cooking on the other part of the stove. I mean, it's still brewing, baby. It's still brewing. Yeah. It's not ready to be served. Well, I was going to say, I think you <laughs> boiled the pasta, you poured out the water, you cleaned off the pasta. Now we didn't you're get ready that far yet. We didn't get that far up. yet. We okay. got the water maybe, boiling. Maybe we got the salt. Salt's okay. in the water. Uh, the water's boiling. 
We, we, you know, we probably just put the pasta in there now. We got a ways to go. Fair enough. <laughs> Big Blue Kickoff Live presented by New York Lottery. Get out there and play. Lance Meadow, Paul Dottino with you here on Giants.com as well as the mobile app. You can listen on various podcast platforms too. Let's open up the lines at 201-939-4513. Let's check in with Marco in Connecticut. He gets us going on Wednesday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. What's happening, Marco? Hey, Lance and Paul. How are you guys? Hi. All right. What's on your mind? Good. Oh, well, good, good, um, good stuff here. I was listening, and um, uh, I have some thoughts on what you guys were saying. I, I called uh, just to give a couple positives, and then I had a question at the end. Um, positives from the other night are um, obviously Andrew Thomas. I think improving, and I like that it was pretty quiet. He was pretty quiet during the game, which is always a good thing. And I'm going to be looking. I, I really feel like he's going to continue to get better. Um, what I saw from the team, and I, and I was wondering if this was a, just a scheme idea for the specific game against Tampa or if this is something they're trying to do. I noticed that the offense was getting to the line a lot quicker. And Daniel was getting, getting, to, Daniel was getting under center with like 15 seconds left on the play clock. Yeah. And, I'm always I'm always watching the play clock when he gets when he gets under center, and I kept noticing 15 seconds. And I at home watching, very relaxed now. I'm like, okay, we don't have to worry about being at three seconds or two seconds. Was that, Paul? What was the reason for that? Now, is that a scheme thing or something they're trying to do? No, that definitely has to do with the Buccaneers because the Bucks are a team that uh, has a terrific front four. They will stunt a lot. Uh, they will often disguise their blitz packages because of their stand-up linebackers and even send safeties. In fact, um, one of the things that I, I, I noticed the last couple of games, and I was looking for it this week, and wouldn't you know Todd Bowles used it, Devin White coming in through the A-gap between the tackles, yeah. coming inside on a blitz. Also, I've seen him in tape the last two weeks going around the edge. I mean, he's he's not afraid to be sending guys from any which angle at any given time. And so I really believe the idea was, A, prevent substitutions uh, on their part, the Buccaneers' defense, and, B, I also thought they wanted to give Daniel all the time in the world to get up to the line, to see what he needed to see, and then he could decide when to snap the ball before the Buccaneers did anything funky that might confuse his guys. Yeah, there was actually actually a scenario, Marco, in the game where Nick Gates snapped the ball and they got Levante David, I believe, to jump early, and he went into the neutral zone. So I think that was part of the philosophy because Todd Bowles loves to blitz. They're an ultra-aggressive defense, and they bring their linebackers up in the line because those guys think that they can get an early jump jump and I think the Giants felt if we get settled a little early you know maybe we could get the guys to jump and it did work out at least through a few occasions in short Marco it's a Uh, proactive approach is what it is because you're not allowing their defense to dictate to you sure and I I, listen I loved it um so do I you think yeah and and Paul that and and Lance that brought me to think about this the team's one in seven I don't remember. I've been watching. I've watched every Giants game since, I don't know, let's say 1990, what I remember. Um, I don't remember being this excited every week to see what kind of scheme they're going to be, they've come up with, and especially on special teams. Uh, and, I, and I get it, too, with Joe's background, but they, the stuff they're coming up with has been just so uh, interesting, and I just applaud the coaches because um, – the strategy's been there for sure. It's just, you know, we have the other things that we need to connect on. Um, here's my question. Um, you guys were talking about, uh, but Lance, you brought up Carson Wentz, and I, and I get it. Um, I think for, for Giant fans, and me, and I'm going to include myself in this, the issue with comparing, our, comparing if you're looking at other quarterbacks, with, with Daniel, I just really take it with the last, like, first-year and second-year quarterbacks that are in the league. And when you look around the league and you see what some of the other quarterbacks are doing, that's where the frustrating, that's where the frustration comes in, um, because you see that, you see that it's, it's other guys that are able to put it together on the fly too, and other guys that didn't have an off season. And I, I don't want to get in a long thing about that, but 
my question is this, and maybe this is a philosophical well, question. But hold on. If I could just jump in here, Marco. Yeah, I mean, I understand sure, sure. you look at Joe Burrow, you look at Herbert, and they're having good rookie years. In fairness, though, Daniel Jones had a good rookie year, okay? Now it's a matter of, okay, now the rest of the league has more film on you. They have a better read of your tendencies. Mm -hmm. What do you do then to adjust? We have not seen Burrow. We have not seen Herbert in year two yet. You're still looking at them in a relatively small sample size without a conventional offseason. So the jury is still out with both of those guys, regardless of how well they're playing. I don't want to hear anything about a guy like Patrick Mahomes because Mahomes is certainly on an island by himself. And Lamar Jackson, I would argue, I think defenses are starting to have a better read on Lamar Jackson. And you could see that on a week-to-week basis now. Marco, I think there's one other factor here, and you don't have to put as much weight into it if you don't want to, but it is a factor that shouldn't be ignored, and that is it's a lot easier sometimes for a rookie who might be able to come in fresh and at least have beginner's luck, if you will, than it is for a second-year quarterback who now has to break down everything he learned from that first coaching staff and literally scrape all that paint off the wall and then learn stuff new with the second coaching staff. If that if 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 I explain that to you correctly, I'm not sure maybe it was clear. Yeah. But but I think no, no, I think on. you had they had you know they uh, what do you call it? Judge and Garrett had to basically tear down and rip rip Jones apart from scratch to build him up again. And that can and sometimes be more difficult. Well, I, no, no, that's fair. I, I think you and Jeff mentioned something not too long ago about, you know, he went from Duke to Shermer's offense. Now he's in Garrett's offense. Totally he's had three fair. offenses but, in a span of three years. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Wait, so, so, here, so here's the question then for, for you guys and for Phil Simms. Is what, what, what happens when, when the play speeds up a little bit and, and, and pressure is moving in his face and now, and, and listen, what I liked about it, what he did the other night, he threw the two picks, and then he's able to come back on the last drive like it never happened, and he connected yep. on two four-down plays. Darius Slayton made a great play. But that showed that, he, that showed he could pick himself off the mat. That is huge. That reminded me so much of what we were accustomed to with Eli when he made mistakes. But when pressure speeds up on him, is he able to process quickly? Is there a little, like, not to be funny, is there a little, like, Duke uh, – PTSD going on, where maybe he was playing in such fast situations at Duke where he had to be the only guy, and he's just like, you don't have to throw up a prayer, Daniel. You you can throw it in the ground. You can take a sack. Marco, I'm going to stop you there. You know why? Because you hit on something that I was discussing with a dear friend of mine who's, who knows football for 40 years yesterday, and I don't think I mentioned it on the show, and maybe I should have. There was just too many sparks flying yesterday for me to get into this. But I think it's a yeah. great point. When Daniel Jones was at Duke, he didn't have very much around him. His offensive line wasn't very good, and he didn't have very good skill position players. He was the only Excedrin player on their offense. He was forced, in all instances, to have to try to make a play. So after playing for three full years at Duke, where he's been ingrained that he's got to make a play, is it any wonder right now, while he's having a little bit of problems trying to give up on a play? Think about that for a minute. No, I... I I agree. I'll, I'm I'm going to get off. I'm sure you guys have other calls, but the Giants have eight games here left. Uh, I would love for them to have more than that, but and but they have eight games left. I want Daniel to remove any decision making, anything that could possibly be made from us having a high draft pick. I want to go into the draft. I want to be able to pick the pass rusher, an elite pass rusher that we that we need to to really complement what this. Defense has done that, is, that has been awesome to watch. I want Daniel to remove the decision out of anyone's hands. He, there you he, go, Marco. I love it. it. Thank right. you. you. Lance, right, I, I only have one, one thing I'd like to add to what Marco just said. I, I, a, a dear friend of mine who is a uh, very, very uh, big draft, uh, has a, a service, said to me, uh, not a great draft for edge rushers. <laughs> Well, that's what I was going to say. When when people throw out you want the team to get position A or position B, we don't even know what the stock is going to look like at that position. So that's why I never go into a draft saying they need to get this position. Depends on where they're at and what the board looks like.
That's yep. what it comes down to. Maybe, maybe right they'll find somebody, tell. but at the yeah. moment, I've been told that the outlook for edge rushers in this draft is less than glorious. And the other thing is, regardless of where the Giants select, doesn't mean that the mindset of the front office is that they're going to look at the quarterback position anyway. You know, that's the other thing. Just because there's chatter and speculation out there doesn't mean that that's what the conversation is like in terms sure. of the front office, too. You know, we can't associate both of those things on equal footing. 201-939-4513 is the telephone number. Lance Meadow, Paul Dettino with you here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. Giants fans get a New York Giants checking account from Investors Bank with a Giants branded debit card, security features, and discounts at the Giants online shop. You can earn up to $250 when you open an account at investorsbank.com slash Giants member FDIC. Let's head back to the lines. Ralph is in Florida. Ralph, what's happening? Hey, guys. How you doing? I'm Paul. I'm Lance. How you feeling? Hi, so, Duray, Ralph. Out of, what do you have for us? Out of, out of Monday night, on the Monday night game, this is what you, you take out if you're a real fan. All these guys that just want these numbers that they, they get me sick. Paul, yesterday that caller that didn't want to call back, glad you don't need to call back. He was a waste of time. Um, so <laughs> the, what, the thing I say now is, what I found out about my team, one, I got a coach. I got a head coach on my team. Yeah. That basically took one of the best teams in the NFC. Toe-to-toe, we should have won the game. Absolutely. It's not even requested. Two, I got a quarterback. A quarterback that could come off the mat after throwing two horrible interceptions, knowing that you, you just cost your team a game, and they put the ball in your hands at the end of the game as they go try to tie it, and you go down the field, make two big plays on fourth down, a nice running play to get out of bounds, and make a dime throw, a dime throw in the end zone. I mean, one of you know, there's not that many quarterbacks that can make that throw. I'm sorry, there's really not. To make a dime throw to go to take the end zone, the other two point conversion was a little late. I can live with that. That's a play where you know what, a young quarterback, I can't make a mistake. I can't make a mistake. I can't make a mistake. And that's what the hesitation came in. Guess what? We have a quarterback, but we have a coach. We have a building offensive line. I mean, Shane Lemieux really surprised me. He really, really surprised me. That is something that we can build on. This team, this defense, of course, we've got to add some pizza coming in the draft, maybe in free agency. But this team, 1-7, and let's be honest, Lance, let's be honest, Paul, you've seen the dynamic forget records throw them out the window. Right now in the state of football in the NFC East, who's the best team in the NFC East? Let's be honest. Well, the Eagles right now, based on the record, are. No, no, no. I'm talking about no record. I'm talking about talent on the field, the way they fight, the teams right now, you saw me lined up the team. If the Giants played the Eagles the way they played the Buccaneers, who wins that game? Well, they well, they, they, they had the Eagles by the throat yeah, just a few weeks ago. So that's I, you what know, I'm talking about. <laughs> I mean. But this you, is what you know, I mean. You know what I would say to you, and, and, I, and I mean this right now, I think earlier in the season as, as things opened up, especially after the San Francisco game. I think it was fair to say, and there were people who would joke and say, oh, you know, the NFC East and the Giants, those are the get-well games on the schedule. Right now, I would say this. I'm not so sure that there are other head coaches around the league that are necessarily very anxious to play the Giants. Oh, I don't, I, you, I, you know, I, that, that to me now, that's not one of those, uh, you know, we can cruise control victories now. That's, that's a game you're going to have to earn. Yeah, well, they've proven yeah, to be a tough out, and all of their last few games have been decided by one possession, five to be exact. So, I mean, they've been in every game. They've had double-digit leads in a number of them, so I think that's proven to the rest of the league. You know, nobody's overlooking this team. I think that has exactly. been laid out. Like, Absolutely. Like, let's be real. Like, we got the game against Seattle. Seattle's a great team. There's no question about it. Seattle's a great team. But what is Seattle's weakness on this team, their defense? If our offense can run the ball and control – the game, and Daniel Jones doesn't make the mistake, and we're able to score. Our defense, playing the way they're playing, I mean, nobody's going to stop Russell Wilson. Let's just be realistic about it. Right. But if you can contain Russell Wilson, you can't tell me we can't go up to Seattle without the 12th man, without all that noise, that we can't go up to Seattle and at least compete? Like, that's, this is what the fans kill me, that they talk about, oh, this team's one of seven. Daniel Jones got to go. We got to clean up house. We got to get rid of gentlemen. Like, please, at the end of the day, this team is competing with the talent that we have on the field. Let's be honest. We should not be competing. At one of seven, are there games on the, that we left that we, we could have won? Of course. 
This wasn't a year when we were going to the Super Bowl. This was not a year for us to get straight. Let's just be honest. We're a rookie head coach with a pandemic, with no offseason. This is the year to evaluate talent, to evaluate a coach and a coaching staff. So far, it's thumbs up. Yeah. It's thumbs up on the defensive coordinator, on the offensive coordinator, on the head coach. And let's be honest, the defensive moves that Dave Gettleman made, there's no arguing. Blake Martinez is going to be the best, might be the all-pro middle linebacker in the NFC. Bradbury's a pro, pro bowler. So how can we argue all this hate about Gettleman? The real hate is, and let's be honest, and I hate to bring his name up, I hope he gets better in rehab, is D-Trade OBJ, and after that, everybody hated Dale Gettleman. Yeah, well, well, Ralph, we appreciate the call. I would, I would add two very quick things. Number one, okay, we said all during the offseason, I know I preached it, and I think Lance, you were on board, and I think even Jeff and John were too, the Giants – certainly had the potential to be a better team, but may not have a better one-loss record than they did last year because the schedule was going to be increasingly difficult and we knew the team was going to get a lot younger. And with all the off-season, or should I say non-off-season issues that every team had to face, it was entirely possible that they would win fewer games than last year but be a better team. That was eminently possible. And then I think the other thing you want to keep in mind like what Dave Gettleman said right before the season, he felt very strongly that this team was going to be a, a group of fighting Joe judges. And that's what they are. They are fighting Joe judges. They are meeting the expectations in terms of the intensity, the attitude, the togetherness, the style of play they want to play. They're meeting all of those litmus tests. Now they just got to convert it to the next level and, of course, enhance their talent to be able to do such a thing. Well, that's why connected to that, I think a big thing was the way to evaluate this season is on an individual basis, too. You know, where do some of these young guys go in terms of taking the next step in their development? Not just Daniel Jones, individuals on defense, the offensive line that we've talked about. You know, when you start to see progress from the individuals, you hope that that translates to the group. And I think that that's registered in terms of how competitive this team has been. But at the end of the day, this is a results-oriented business in terms of wins and losses. And you don't get brownie points or how competitive you are or how close you come. So, I mean, anyone will tell you it still eventually has to translate to wins. But there's no doubt about it. There's no doubt that this is not an easy out, this team, okay? Nobody going into a Giants game is saying, we're going to run a layup line and we're going to go in, we're going to go out, and it's going to be that simple, okay? That's what this team has proven. But... The next step is, as you hit on, how do you then close out a game that you played well and you set the tone and you had a lead? How do you close it out? And that's right now has been the struggle for this team, and that's the next step that they're going to have to take in order for it to translate in the standings. Let me ask you a question. I asked this uh, yesterday of Jeff. I'm going to ask you the same thing. Put everything exactly the way it is except for one thing, injury bug, lady luck, Give them Saquon Barkley on this team all season. Do the Giants win, have two or three more wins than they have this morning if Saquon Barkley doesn't get hurt? It's possible. I think he certainly could be responsible for an explosive play here or there, and that may be the difference in terms of getting into field goal range or perhaps scoring a touchdown. The reason why I'm leaning slightly away from that and more in the middle ground, Paul, is when we've seen Barkley play at his highest level, it still hasn't always translated to wins granted it's different scheme different coaches I get it yeah so that's why I'm not I'm Garrett not would have found a better up. way to use him well and think? Garrett has been very effective there's no yeah. doubt about it but I, I don't I wouldn't put it so close to being a guarantee that it I'm definitely not guaranteeing it I, I'm saying wins. I tend to lean towards that yeah they probably would have two maybe three I'll say two maybe three more wins if if Barkley's in the lineup instead of you know, with all due respect to the running backs that they've been parading out there, they're not Saquon Barkley. But I do think that the rushing attack has come a long way, even without Saquon Barkley. Well, the last three games. Yeah. So, you know, although, I again, Daniel Jones has been a much bigger part of that than I he think has, uh, most Goldman, of us would like. Yeah, but Goldman, I think, has provided a nice spark as well. Yeah, Goldman's done some nice things, and, of course, Freeman. But, you know, again, they're not Barkley. They're not Excedrin players. Barkley is the one Excedrin player that the Giants have on that side of the field. And you know what? He hasn't been there. 
And that's a big deal. And that has nothing to do with scheme, has nothing to do with guys playing poorly or not playing poorly. That's just Lady Luck said, you know what, we're going to bite this guy in the butt and you're not going to have him. I mean, on the other side, Xavier McKinney. Could you imagine if they, you know, now, of course, McKinney got hurt and that's why they signed Logan Ryan. So there, there is an offset there. That's why I didn't bring him up because I don't think it's fair uh, when, you, when you say that because the Barkley fall off is huge. The McKinney fall off, well, geez, you, you picked up Logan Ryan, and I think we would all agree he's a good player. 100%. The other thing is, and McKinney has a lot of upside, but he's a rookie, and we haven't even seen him in a regular Correct. season game. Correct. Barkley, at least you could sell me on the fact, Paul, he's a proven commodity. You know what he gives you. Yeah. McKinney, not to say that they don't have high hopes for him, but until we see a few games and you could truly measure his impact, I'd be a little bit shying away from saying that he would have the same impact as perhaps a guy That's like That's why Taylor I Barkley. didn't use him yeah. when I brought up the, the thought. The hypothetical yeah. was really about Barkley. So... The anyway. New York Giants and Quest Diagnostics want our fans to come back stronger than ever. Now you can order your own lab test through Quest Direct to get the health answers you need most. Let's head back to the lines. We check in with Big Ed in Maryland. What's happening, Big Ed? Hey, guys. What's up? How you doing? Hi. Doing How are right? you? What do you got for us? Hey, first off, uh, my biggest stat is, guys, we are right into everything. If you flip a record, we're actually 7-1. So, therefore, that means what? If we're in every game that we've been playing in, it only means one thing. We need to keep playing. We need to keep playing and let it manifest itself because if all we're doing, if the way we've been losing is by turnovers and penalties, eliminate the mistakes, win games. It's that simple. That's one. Second, Paulie, I want to come to the game on Sunday, man. I want to see you. Try to make that work, Okay. You're a big Paulie. You can do it. All right. Don't give me no excuses. All right. No. Unfortunately, no we excuse. we we've got to do we've got to do our shows on game day remotely when the Giants are on the road. Uh, I, I wish you know, and and I can tell you something, my friend, Big Ed. I'd I'd love to see you down there. Believe me, nothing nothing is more painful than not being able to go to these games as we've all been forced to stay at home when the Giants are on the road this year. Okay. Yeah, man. So, I know. It is I what it is. That, man. You know, and it's look, 2020, and Big Ed. Around. What can I say, you know? <laughs> yeah. We're going to hang in there, man. We're going to hang in there and make it happen. I know that. Because everybody's playing hard. So that's the best part of the game, the whole thing right now. We're playing hard. So it's just a matter of finishing the game all the way out and not getting too far ahead of ourselves when we got to lead. So we play good, but we got to do the things to win the game. Yeah, you can't have the self-inflicted wounds. I mean, there's no doubt about it. I I think we certainly have been emphasizing that, Big Ed, and appreciate the phone call. Thanks so much for weighing in as we move along here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. How about Scott in New Mexico? Scott, what's happening? Hi, guys. How are you doing today? Doing right, Scott. What do you got for us? Uh, Some of this is going to sound strange, but uh, I personally think that all the criticism against Daniel Jones is a little bit unfounded. And I want to tell you why. If you had to eliminate, say, the five top quarterbacks in the league, um, you know, Brady, Rogers, Wilson, et cetera, Holmes. and you got to the second, Holmes, right, <laughs> and you eliminated some of the other quarterbacks, who would you rather have on your team than Daniel Jones? He's a better runner than most people. He throws a great long ball. His problem with throwing interceptions is his competitive spirit. Uh, he's going to have to eliminate and change that. But if I had to pick a, a quarterback based on what I've seen in the first, say, 14 or 15 games, I'd take Daniel Jones twice on Sunday than most of the other quarterbacks that are playing in the league. Where I think some of the problems arise from is actually, and I wanted to get your feedback on this, is I think that when you live in a media market like New York, and obviously the Giants are, this, I think, the second-richest franchise in football, the fans demand success right away. It's just natural, as the same situation exists in Dallas, which is the richest franchise. Well, and Philadelphia, too. I mean, they wanted to get rid of Carson Wentz to keep Nick Foles after he won the Super Bowl. So, I mean, I don't think New York is unusual compared to some of these other major markets, guys. But there's a lot of pressure, and that's why in the media, it's hard for a player like a Daniel Jones or an Andrew Thomas or any other top draft choice who comes into the league 
and you're constantly bombarded with you're making too many mistakes, et cetera, et cetera. And that kind of pressure can build in you. I know people say you can ignore it, but it can't be done. Uh, they're human like anybody else. But so far as a quarterback is concerned, I don't see real issues with Daniel Jones. But what he has to eliminate are the problems everybody's talking about. But he will do that. And I think I made the point, I think it was to you, Paul, uh, I said some of the top quarterbacks that are have not uh, were expected to be, you know, not throwing interceptions or fumbling were people like Brett Favre and Warren Moon, who both wear gold jackets. Yeah. Whether Daniel Jones gets to that point, I don't know. But to to keep heaping all of this nonsense on him, putting extra pressure on him, I think is definitely unwarranted. So. I think I wanted the real question I wanted to ask, how much does the media really affect his play on the field, and how does he tune it out so that he can play effectively as a giant quarterback? I know Phil Sims went through it. I know some of the other people went through it. He has to learn to do it. And there's a difference between, <coughs> excuse me, uh, football smart and book smart. Yes. You know, you can go to any yeah. university. You can go to Stuke or Duke or Stanford or whatever school you want to come from. John Elway went to Stanford, etc., but he was also football smart. And I don't that's think, what I well, think well is Scott, right now. The, the short answer I don't think the media scrutiny or the New York market has anything to do with some of the turnover issues. That's just my personal opinion. I think that's okay. a convenient narrative and storyline to bring into the picture. I don't get the feel that Daniel Jones is overwhelmed by being the Giants' starting quarterback. I think it's simply in the moment, sometimes trying to shoulder a lot more than he needs, and just having the philosophy of living to see another down. And it's simple as that. But, I mean, Eli think, faced Lance, a lot of pressure, too, early in his career, right. and Eli overcame it, too. So, so you know, right. I mean, but sometimes Lance, you could you say it's the natural progression of a young quarterback. Don't you think if you were facing constant scrutiny all the time, it would have an effect on you because you want to prove to everybody else that they're wrong? And that's really the point I was really trying to get at. Scott, and I think I can't, once he overcomes that, I think he will be fine. Yeah, and, and I understand the point, and I'm, I can't definitively give you an answer because I'm not a psychologist or a sports psychologist in particular, but I will say that based on my dealings with Daniel Jones and, and, and his teammates and the front office and the coaches, and certainly knowing uh, I've, I've had the inter- chance to interview Cutcliffe uh, a few times, I don't get the impression that Daniel Jones is impacted by the outside fans or media voices. I think it's it's self-induced pressure that he's in a game and he's yeah. trying to make a play. And the pressure for him to try to overcome whatever adversity or whatever the Giants are lacking so that he can force feed a play to spark his team, I think that is the only hurdle that he's got to be able to to mature over. I don't think it has to do with any of the voices coming from the outside. I could be wrong, but I honestly don't think he gets impacted by those people. Yeah, and that's why I echoed pretty much the same sentiments. I don't think Daniel Jones in his head is thinking to himself when he was trying to throw the ball and it got intercepted, the second one, when they're knocking on the door in Tampa Bay territory, hey, I want to quiet the skeptics. I think it's an example of a guy just trying to do everything he can to help his team win, and unfortunately it didn't work out. But I don't think in his mind he's like, I got to make this play or else the newspaper headlines the next day is going to rip me. I, I just, I don't see it that way. And I, I think that it's, it's an interesting conversation to have because it's in the New York market. But I think that's when we're taking it, Paul, to the very psychological degree. Mm-hmm. And I think we're making it more convoluted and complex than it needs to be. I would say this, though, Scott is not out of line to raise the question because we have seen it in New York sports. More specifically, I think it's manifested itself more in baseball than any of the other sports when it comes to New York City where, you know, guys like Ed Whitson is the poster child for it. You know, he comes to New York to the Yankees. Uh, Ken Holtzman was another guy, you know, going back uh, many years with the Yankees. Uh, You have guys who, you know, they just – Mike Hampton to the Mets is another guy, right? Bobby Bonilla from the Mets. Right? George Well, he had a lot of money, though, that he was given, so that comes with pressure. But Yeah, yeah, no question. Well, you come to New York as a star, you're going to make the big bucks, and all of that kind of cooks into a soup or a stew, if you will. And we have found, more often in baseball than the other pro sports, that there are some guys who cannot excel or cannot be themselves – under the glare of New York. 
that I, I would do argue, think that's legit. But I think but it's not in this you case. Bring up baseball. I think it's interesting you brought up baseball because what I would argue is though in baseball you're playing pretty much on a daily basis. You've got the media in the locker room on a daily basis. Not to say that Daniel Jones in normal circumstances doesn't have media exposure, but normally the quarterback meets with the media once a week, and then you're really going off on your own, and you're preparing for the game. You play one game a week. I think the dynamics, the people, the microphones in your face, a little bit more overwhelming, I would argue, Paul, when you're a baseball player, because it's hard to avoid it when you're dealing with it on a daily basis, like it's a routine. Football you have those opportunities during the week to get away from it and just focus on the task yeah, at hand. Yeah, and well, and also baseball, remember, the pitcher is out there on an island throwing the ball by himself, and the yeah, hitter no is on an island in the batter's box, and he's got to hit the ball. In, in football, there are a lot of places you can try to hide, you know, because it truly is a team game where it's 11 on 11, and there's a spiderweb effect. But in baseball, it's mano a mano. you got a bat, the pitcher's got a ball, and the whole world is just looking at you. It's, 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 it's a game different. of chess. Yeah, it is different. Two players. Yeah, yeah. With football, you're still at the mercy of the other guys around you making plays. Exactly. I mean, granted, the quarterback's important, but you need the offensive line to block. You need the mm-hmm. rushing attack. You need the wide receivers to make catches. There's a lot more dynamics in play. And, I, and I can I just add one fair. real quick second on the backbone of that? Heads, a big, big hand slap and a thumbs up to Golden Tate and to Darius Slayton who went above the X's and O's and made great catches to help out hit their quarterback on the final drive of the game the other night. I have been saying this for years. The Giants do not make enough of plays for their quarterback, whether it was Jones or Eli Manning. It would be wrong and remiss of me if I did not employ what Tate and Slayton did the other day because they went on the other end of catchable balls and made plays for their quarterback. And that's what, unfortunately, we see on the highlights every single weekend from other teams. But this particular time, the Giants had guys do it for their quarterback. And that's a pleasure to see. And you see, when when things work hand-in-hand and the receivers will do things like that for the QB, you see how much better it is when they're moving down the field? Oh, because you're getting help from all aspects. There's no doubt about it. I will add this to Tate. Interestingly, he really had three plays in the game. He had two catches, and he had the throw cross-field to Wayne Goldman. Remember right. the first down? You can argue all three of those plays were significant because the other catch he made, aside from the touchdown, was the third and four mm-hmm. where he was tripped up and he could have maybe even ran in for another touchdown. It was a heck of a play by the Bucks to trip him up. I think it was Murphy Bunting, if I'm correct, who wound up tripping him up. But Zero all coverage. three of the plays— <laughs> He that, was gone, that, that, Lance. He was yeah. gone. So that's why I have to give credit to the Bucks defense. Listen, it goes both ways. Yeah, yeah. But the bottom line is Tate had three plays in the game. All three of them were extremely notable. They were productive. To your point Absolutely. of making critical plays for the quarterback. Yep. And, and that's part of what we're talking about in football, where you are reliant upon somebody else to get the end result. It's not just on you. You're listening to Big Blue Kickoff Live presented by New York Lottery. Get out there and play. Lance Meadow, Paul Dottino with you. You can also interact with us on Twitter at Lance Meadow. One word, last name, M-E-D-O-W. He is at Giants W-F-A-N. Let's head back to the lines. Angelo is in Dallas. Angelo, welcome aboard. What do you have for us? Angelo going once. Angelo going twice. Angelo apparently is a man (laughs) of very few. Oh, do I hear Angelo? Is that you? I thought I heard a whisper. Okay. That was a tease. Let's try Len in Maryland. See if he's a little bit more talkative than Andrew. How's everything, Len? What do you got? <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm always talkative, guys. You know that. Yes. Hey, 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 hey Paulie. Yeah. Ed Whitson. Ed Whitson, who George Steinbrenner said one time, I fear for my infielder's life when Ed Whitson yes. is pitching. He did. <laughs> he did. It was too much. Could um, not handle New York. He, he, you know, New Yorkers have turned the, uh, booing the quarterback into an art form. And I, I can remember, God bless him, my dad, 53, 54, sitting in the polo grounds, Paul and Lance, and um, him saying to me, don't, don't boo the quarterback. The coach will take care of it. And to this day, I remember that. And I've, I've never booed a Giants quarterback. Mm-hmm. I figured the organization will take care of it. Hey, a reference to yesterday's conversation, Paul, that you were having about the lean years. 
way back there in the 70s, late 60s and 70s. Yep. It didn't get any worse than the Yale Bowl. I know. November 74, Joe Namath on a bootleg <laughs> in overtime <laughs> to beat us. Yeah, but you know as that well was, as I do, that and was, that Pete Gogolak's field goal was good. That game never uh, should have I, gone it, overtime. Gogo got ripped off. Right. Good, you, good you, point. You know good, it. Hey, that's hey, – You good know point. it. They made they, the refs yeah, made a point. bad call. The ball went too high. The uprights yep. weren't high enough. The ball yep. went too high, and they didn't yeah. give Gogolak credit for the winning field goal. Yeah, 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 yeah. That was it. But watch the Namath. <laughs> that was that was in, that was indeed the low point, Paul. All right, hey, listen. Uh, you you guys mentioned I think mentioned it, it already, and I I really I really wanted to talk about this. You you can't measure the impact of Barkley's loss to this football team. Tear up the master plan. I mean, it was, it was a terrible loss. And it, it's, it's hurt us all season. And, you know, the difference maker, I hope we get him back next year. I, I, I hope he's the same. I don't want to see that kind of injury to any football player, but I, I, I hope he's the same because, frankly, without him, even with improvement, we're a 5-6-7 win team. With Barkley, we're a 9-10 win team. It, 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 was, it was just a terrible loss. Just, just a terrible loss. I don't know how you calculate it, but you've got to go on. And most importantly, you've got to win. And, um, you know, no time like the, like, like the present. Uh, you know, we've got two division games coming up. Let's win these two division games. Uh, gain on our, you know, primary primary competitors. We got to improve that. You know, we got to improve that division record. And this is this is a good time to. I mean, this is a good time to start. We we got to win these division games, and, and make up ground on these guys. Um, well, they're the most important games. It goes without saying. Yeah, they are. Right yeah, now, they're one and two in the years, division. Lance, so. I know you and I. Yeah. You and I have talked about that for you know for years. And, um, you know, we got that Cowboys game at the end. Let's win these three before two in the division. All right, we're not going to make the playoffs. Okay, even with four, two in the division. But we've made up some ground. And that, that to me, is going to be the big building block. And so I want to see, see how individual guys perform. One other thing I want to say, and you had an earlier caller on this, and thank you for giving me the time to, uh, you know, rant here a little bit. Um, let's be careful with Lemieux and Pert. Let's not get too excited. Old cliche, but I'm going to use it for Lemieux, for Pert, and for even Thomas. A year in the weight room is going to make a big, big difference on these guys. Remember, 32 teams passed over Lemieux four times, including the Giants. You know, he's a fifth-round pick. It was a good start. Uh, he, He played okay. You know, if he turns out to be Kevin Zeitler, I'll take it. I'll take it. Len, Len, you know, could I ask you something? Yeah. If he turns yeah. out to be David Deal, would you take that too? He was a fifth round Oh, I'd pick. take that. I'm, okay, I'm mean, yeah, oh, yeah, just checking. Yeah, I would especially <laughs> take it if it was David. Yes, especially okay. take it. What I'm saying, I think, I think we uh, over-exaggerated the impact of Zeitler. Zeitler's okay. He's okay. And you know why he's okay? Because he's an okay player. And, and that's all right. You know, you can win with a bunch of those guys as long as they're okay. I, and even with Hernandez, you know, he'll come along. But we expected so much from Will. Um, I, you know, we're losing. I was right in there. with. But, you know, you look back on it now, and it's, it's not necessarily that he's been a failure. He's going to be an okay player. You know, he's going to be an okay player. And, and you can win a lot of games with those kind of guys. But you need... You know, you need the Batman on offense, Paulie and Lance. Um, you know, we got to well, get Barkley back. You need consistency from the offensive line. I mean, I think that's what you're looking for. You're not necessarily looking for pro bowlers. You just want consistency. Game in and game out, you, you want to know that that unit is going to be able to execute. And I think that's yeah, what they're there searching you go. for. There right? you go. Yeah, I mean, there it's you as simple go. as that. Absolutely. But I, I and, just want to make sure we don't start exactly. 
I'm sorry. Yeah, well, I, I don't think anybody... Well, we're going to let you go because we want to try to squeeze in somebody else and appreciate that. I, I don't think anybody is crowning anything and anybody is exaggerating. At least Paul and I certainly were not over the course of this program. I think that it's fine to say Shane Lemieux had a good debut. He was a solid debut. Yes. For him to line up Paul next to Andrew Thomas to go up against that Bucks front, he handled himself quite well. I always say this. The eye test is important regardless of the statistics, the analytical breakdowns. I watched that game on Monday, and I didn't feel as if Tampa Bay had that damaging blow to the offensive line where they forced a fumble, they returned it for a touchdown, you know, one of those back-breaking plays. That didn't happen. Now, you could argue, well, that's a low bar. That's fine, but you know what? Considering Tampa Bay was second to the NFL in sacks and did so much damage to just about everybody they've played. The fact that the Giants held their own with two rookies on the left side, I think you got to be at least content based on the results at a Monday night from that Fair standpoint. Enough. Fair enough. It's as simple as that. And nobody's crowning him. Nobody's walking him to Canton, Ohio. Okay, it's just so far, one solid start in the books. Now let's see him build off of it. Leave it at that. Let's head back to the lines. Angelo's in Dallas. Angelo, let's try again. Hey, let's try this again. Thanks, Bill, for taking me back. Hi. Uh, yeah. Quick thing, and I do believe, I, I do agree that we can learn the okay guys, but I also believe that you know we had a Chris Knee, you know, back in the day that was you know that all pro uh, pro bowler type uh, player. So I think we do need at least one or two uh, more than okay guys. But I do understand the point that he was making on that. Uh, in regards to the um, uh, Leonard Williams, I think that I myself can admit that I need to eat a little bit of crow, not not a whole meal, but even appetizer on that uh, move by um, by DG. I think that that was a great move, and he's really shown himself. Now, I do believe that he'll still a lot to give up. But I believe that he's coming to be the player that gentleman want, uh, wanted um, on Leonard Williams. Um, but, well, I do want to say this, too, in regards to the coaching. I think that we're coaching better than we're playing. Um, and I think that's just a testament to the coaching staff that we have. What are your thoughts on that? Do you all agree with that? Well, that's actually a good thing, isn't it? If your coaches are, yes, are, are, are ahead of your roster, then you're always going to be in good shape. The arrow is going to be in the right direction. Yep. Yeah, I agree with you, Angela. I think the coaching staff deserves a lot of credit. You look at what Patrick Graham has done, utilizing a lot of talent, mixing and matching guys. He's had guys in and out of the lineup because of injury. And, you know, that defense has held its own for the most part. And Jason Garrett on Monday, Daniel Jones taking some shots down the field, the creativity with Golden Tate being involved as a passer. I think that deserves a lot of credit, too. And then, of course, special teams, which is a combo of Joe Judge and Thomas McGahee. And two other things, real quick, is what position of strength? Do you, what position group do you see as a strength on this team? Uh, one question. And my last point, I'll let you go. Is how much patience do you think the fans really we really need to have? What's, uh, nobody has a, a glass ball that can make a you know a prediction. But I mean, you think another two or three years, we can see some things turn around. Um, hopefully, everything being consistent with the coaches and GMs. I don't think we need to have another coaching turnover, and I really think we need to keep the GM just for the purpose of consistency. But, I mean, uh, obviously patience is, is kind of thin right now with the fans at DJ. But uh, another, I think another two or three years we can get something turned around. Well, I think, I think the Giants have already shown so much improvement. If they're able to maintain the consistency and the young fellows are going to continue to do what they're supposed to do, why can't the Giants be a whole lot better in 2021? Why do you even have to wait two years? There's a chance that next year they do a tremendous turnaround. I mean, that's the way the work of the NFL nowadays. We all know that. There's like a worst-to-first team like every year for the last six years. So why, why couldn't the Giants be one of those teams next year? Yeah, it's about continuity, and appreciate the phone call, Angelo. I think his last point, I mean, that's something that I've been emphasizing. I'm not necessarily somebody that subscribes to, well, if a team finishes strong one season, you're guaranteed to pick up where you left off because I think a lot of it depends on how much turnover are we talking about. But the fact that maybe the pandemic impacts the cap, as we were talking about earlier, Paul, if this nucleus can stay together, health is, of course, it goes without saying, a big factor, okay? You've got to indicate to me that the star players are going to stay on the field for a high percentage of games. And if all of that happens, yeah, it's not crazy to think that from one season to another, you can make a significant jump. But remember, at the same time, the teams in the division around the Giants are looking to accomplish the same thing. So, you know, the one thing that I think we have to understand, Paul, is the Giants don't operate on an island. And I say this a lot because sometimes we feel as if, all right, we're just focusing on the Giants. But the Cowboys, the Eagles in Washington, they're trying to accomplish the same thing. I mean, this division has not had a duplicate winner since the (laughs) Eagles, as I say all the time, four years in a row in the early two. 
2000. So, you know, that just goes to show you it's been a topsy-turvy ride for the last decade plus. Yeah, it really has. And every year, every one of these teams can look in the mirror and say, why not us? Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. So, you know, all bets are off with this division, but health and continuity is big. And for the sake of the Giants, specifically on the continuity front, given there's been so much turnover, I think that's something to monitor as we move forward to this offseason. All right, so that is going to wrap things up for us. But what do you got? I was only going to say final thought. Giants have an injury deal in Barkley. Dallas has an injury deal with Prescott. Uh, Redskins have a big issue because they got to figure out what's going on with their quarterback. And quite frankly, even the Eagles with Carson Wentz, who's been up and down and has also had an injury history, you can make an argument that each one of the four teams in the division also need a rebound year out of one of their most significant key players. That's more of a reason why I'm saying that you got to look at the whole yeah. division as a whole as opposed to you know just operating with one team because – All of these teams have question marks. All of these teams have injury concerns. And a lot of these teams also made changes on the coaching front, too. Remember, Philadelphia was the only team that stayed consistent. So, you know, what happens, Paul, with the Dallas coaching staff? What happens with the Washington coaching staff? Where do those units move forward? All of those things. Sign us out, Lance. (laughs) Absolutely. All right, that's going to do it for us. Appreciate everybody tuning in for Wednesday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live, presented by New York Lottery. Get out there and play. As a reminder, you can find the archive of this show and our entire podcast network brought to you by Investors Bank on the Giants mobile app, podcast platforms everywhere, and at Giants.com slash podcast. Thanks to Pearson for his assistance. Stay locked to Giants.com for all the latest. We'll be back up and running on Thursday at noon Eastern. For Paul Dottino, I'm Lance Meadow. Enjoy the rest of your Wednesday. We'll speak to you tomorrow. Have a good one.